Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for March 23rd, 2022. Check the date real fast. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Uh, yeah, pretty solid week. Uh, as always, if you're looking for the DC books, head over to our DC Spotlight that comes out on Tuesdays when the DC books drop. And you can hear all of our thoughts now. Keep in mind that the DC books... Our, the reviews are filled with spoilers, unlike the reviews for New Comics Wednesday, where everything is, uh, I guess, spoiler-free for the most part, is what we'll say. So, But yeah, this was a, this was a really great week for books, and I, I will say a great week for DC books as well. There, there were a couple of real great DC books, if you're curious. Um, Rogues from Joshua Williamson was absolutely fantastic, and then the latest issue of uh, human target, man, it, there's some story beats in there that are, are brutal. So huh. what I will say is if you don't like Guy Gardner, you absolutely have to 100% pick up human target number six. It will be your, if you dislike Guy Gardner as a character, it will be your favorite comic ever. And that's all, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, so anyway, Jay and I are going to talk about a few of the books that we've gotten a chance to check out already. We'll kick it off with Department of Truth. This is from writer James Tynan. Jorge Fornes does the art for this particular issue. Colors are by Jordi Belair. Letters by Aditya Bidikar. Uh, yeah, so di diving into the conspiracy theory here with Department of Truth number 17. What do you think, Jay? Oh, it's good. Uh, like I said, I'm not a, a huge fan of Department of Truth. There's some issues I'm like, all right, I'll read it because uh, it kind of catches my eye. But this one, I'm glad I read. It was uh, great for conspiracy nuts because they dive into the uh, relationship with uh, the character Lee and the president at the time of the moon landing. 
I don't, I don't know if I should say his name, but it's, if you can't figure it out, you don't know history, history above, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, <laughs> they try to say that they had to control the narrative, which is just the dialogue they talk about. It's like, you know, uh, how other countries have done it. It's like, wow. I mean, like I said, they, uh, it was really good writing and it's just, uh, it was a fun read. I just totally enjoyed it. Like I said, if you're a conspiracy theorist about the moon land or anything like that, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. What I loved about it was, you know, obviously we all know the, the, the conspiracy, I, the idea behind the fact, Oh, Hey, we didn't really land on the moon. It was all staged in some sound stage and, like out in the desert somewhere or something like that. And Tynan acknowledges that like he makes, <laughs> he makes a uh, room for that to actually have been true. Uh, so I, 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 but he also goes the other way and says, no, we really landed on the moon. So like either way, uh, somehow he manages to satisfy both, both sides of the conspiracy theory. So that's, that's fantastic. Uh, the other thing that I really liked about it. So I thought the Jorge Fornes art worked really, really well. Um, not that I'm not a fan of the Martin Simmons art, who's, you know, co-creator of the book along with Tynan, uh, but his art, you know, it's watercolor. It's very impressionist. Um, Fornes is not that he, he's all the way on the other end of the scale and it gives the book a completely different feel. Uh, it doesn't feel so ethereal. It feels a little more concrete. Uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't help as I was reading this issue, but think, man, I wonder how different this book would feel if Fornes or somebody of his style had done it like the whole time, I think I would feel for me personally, I would feel more menace, um, but it would feel less supernatural. Like it would feel more grounded in, in reality. Uh, it would feel more like, Hey, these guys are, are puppet masters who are pulling strings. Um, but I think the, the aspect of the magical aspect, that aspect that says if enough people believe something is true, it becomes true. That would feel a little bit diminished. So, I go back and forth on whether I would want, you know, somebody like Fornes to, to do it. But for, for a one-off issue, absolutely fantastic. Loved it. So, uh, all right. I have an image book for my first book as well. It's Aerosmith number three, Behind Enemy Lines, written by Kurt Busick with art by Carlos Pacheco. We have Jose Rafael Fontarez on inks. Jose Villarubia does the colors. And Comic Crafts, Tyler Smith and Jimmy Betancourt handle the letters and the design. This has been a really fun series. I miss Aerosmith the first time around. Uh, Creator-owned, co-created by Busick and Pacheco. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm getting caught up here. And again, ha not having read the first series, um, I went and got them digitally. I still haven't had a chance to read them, but I'm not lost. Like you need, uh, you get everything you need to understand the story and what's going on from the first issue of, of behind enemy line. So the, the whole conceit of the story is uh, the world has evolved a little bit differently. There's magic, there's dragons, the, the dragons buy a uh, bond to humans and then they allow the humans to fly. Like the dragons sort of transfer their ability to flight to the humans and they sit on the human's shoulder and the, and the human flies and there's other magic and other spells. And so there's not the United States of America, it's the United States of Columbia as in Columbus discovered it. It's uh, it's very Europe Eurocentric. There's another world war going on right now. And it's about uh, this guy, Aerosmith, who is uh, who has volunteered to go behind enemy lines and be captured to help pass a message along to a spy to help with some big plan that the uh, the, the allied forces. I mean, I don't, I don't even think they're called the allied forces in this case, but the good guys basically um, 
so it, it's a it's a great story. The art by Carlos Pacheco is, is fantastic. It, it's almost like you know a mashup between something like Lord of the Rings and our own history. You know, so it still has that sort of World War II feel, that that sort of classic feel. And a lot of people love stories set in, in during that time, Greatest Generation, and all that. But it's mashed up with this fantasy feel of rock trolls and kobolds and dragons and magic and things like that. So it's a great series. And again, very accessible for, uh, for new readers. So I do encourage you guys to, uh, to check it out. Uh, all right. Up next for Jay, talk about history going back in time a little bit here. Uh, I think that this series based on the, um, kind of the, the, uh, we get a page in the front that that's like a, a page out of a, like a classified file with Wolverine patch uh, the shield, um, you know, document about him and tiger, tiger and Archie Corrigan. And, and if anybody is saying, Oh, those names sound, sound familiar. Yeah. This is all about Wolverine in his patch identity in Madripoor in the nineties when his, um, his self-titled series monthly series got started. And so we're, we're jumping back to that time. Uh, with a story written by Larry Hama, Andrea D. DeVito does the pencils, Lee Bo Underwood on inks, Sebastian Chang does colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. And uh, it definitely harkens back and rem- reminds me very reminiscent of that time with Wolverine, you know, the eye patch over his eye, the white tuxedo. So if you're a fan of those kind of stories, you probably want to check this out. Uh, you know, if you, that holds nostalgia for you. The other thing I would say is if you just like great Wolverine stories that are uh, Wolverine, like one guy against a you know, huge overwhelming force, it seems like this is going to be that as well. And it's got some great artwork. So uh, what did you think of it, Jay? Well, you're right. It was just a reminiscence of the old story. And I, I kind of like it because he's not Wolverine, doesn't have his uh, costume. He's just a plainly different character, I guess you can say. But uh, it was fun. I mean, I kind of like that old school stuff. And uh, he takes a mission on from his partner, Tiger Tiger, that uh, it's going to have everybody involved. It's funny because now we're dealing with Russia in a sense. And this one, we got Russians. Hey, so we got Russia, we got S.H.I.E.L.D. and we got uh, a, a, like another third party going on and got old patch in the middle of it all it's pretty good there's a good it's a good fight scene at the at the back end and uh it's always it seems like wolverine sometimes gets his butt kicked but he's never down for the count he kind of figures you out and comes back to get you so it's, it looks like it's gonna be a fun read and i enjoyed the first issue i'm looking forward to see what they do in the second yeah and it's definitely you know jay we were talking before saying yeah it's got to be set in the 90s right and one thing i that i realized when i was reading it and then i forgot to mention when you brought it up how we know for sure it's set in the 90s when Shield shows up, Nick Fury's there. Nick Fury's head of Shield, and it's not like Samuel Jackson Nick Fury. It's like old school Nick Fury. So it's definitely you know a series set back before Nick Fury became Watcher Junior or whatever the hell his name is, the Unseen or or whatever. So he still has you know he's not bald. He uh, he has the eye patch. He's chomping on a cigar. So yeah, it was definitely a trip down memory lane to see him as well. Uh, okay, up next for me from Marvel, we have the final issue of Captain America Iron Man, issue number five. It's written by Derek Landy. Art is by Angel Unzieta. Colors are by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by Joe Caramagna. This has been a fun series. I've talked a lot about how, once again, easy to jump on, very new re- reader friendly. It's completely self-contained and basically 
um, this woman who sort of tricked Tony Stark into getting her into shield eventually ends up hooking up with Hydra and becomes a criminal and she's on her way to trial. She escapes. She's gotten um, mixed up with this AI called the overseer. He's got plans to rule the world, you know, like every AI ever, but in the back, ground there's these paladins who were members of the avengers 50 states initiative who also have gotten mixed up in it in a way because they have a crooked senator on their side and they've been pretending to beat up hydra people who really were just hydra people set up to give them a stronger profile so they're almost like a false flag operation and they've kind of gone rogue and when all the pieces come together captain america and iron man are standing on one side and they end up teaming up with the Hydra woman. They end up teaming up with Veronica Eden because she realizes that this AI has betrayed her, lied to her about what its purposes were and is trying to take over the world. So it's there's a lot of different moving parts here, um, but it's not as complicated as it sounds once you read it because most of it is punching and kicking and fighting. <laughs> like this has been an action-packed series, great art by Angel and Zeta. And uh, there's a, some really great Captain America moments in this one as well. This particular issue narrated by Terry, uh, Tony Stark, and he also gets a chance to, to lay down some wisdom. So the biggest overall uh, thing, thing that I'll take away from this series is how Derek Landy sort of framed the whole story with the relationship between Steve Rogers and Tony Stark and how he compares and contrasts them. And he does it through their own words, you know, like Tony's talking about Cap, you know, in this particular issue. And um, but there's also plenty of fun, humorous interactions just from them giving each other a bad time, like guys who've known each other for decades would do. So it's a really great story. Beautiful art. A lot of fun. Again, you can pick it up in trade. You pick up the single issues. You literally need to read nothing to dive into the story and get the most out of it. So seems like Marvel and DC are putting out more and more of that stuff these days. And I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. So, uh, okay. Up next for Jay devil's rain tie-in it's devil's rain X-Men number three. This is written. Where are the credits? There we go. Written by Jerry Dugan. Phil Noto is on the art Corey Petit on letters and Tom Muller on design. What'd you think of this one, Jay? Oh, it's fine. It's uh, fun. Though. This I, this is the last uh, issue in the series. I remember right. This yep. is it. Yep. And uh, I do like the art. I like the artwork. I just think it's clean, and I just I enjoy it. Uh, the story's good. And one thing you always got to know if you were going to fight any X Men, for me personally, I would not want to fight Emma because she can mess with your mind so bad. And this issue, you know, she does that to a lot of people, but it's in a humorous way. And they even say, you know, you guys are lucky because she was just playing with you, and she can do that. Uh, we get some. Uh, I guess some loose ends kind of tied up with the other character, Isabel. Um, the ending I thought was great. And I guess also we find out that why Isabel's kind of a kind of a badass because who you know trained her. And you know, uh Emma gives her like a place to stay and whatnot, you know, her choice. But the ending is the best where she has her like uh confrontation with Kingpin, the one that kind of set us all into motion, and she kind of sets an ultimatum. And it's like, yeah, I guess that's the one you don't really want to, you know, cross paths with. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And I thought, I thought like when she got captured last issue, I even thought, well, that was kind of easy. I didn't expect her to get, you know, I mean, not that Union Jack isn't a, you know, worthy hero or whatever, but he's not in, in Emma's class. And sure enough, she, she turns the tables and escapes relatively quickly when this issue starts. So, yeah. And then 
I, I, I'm, I totally agree with you. If I had to go up against an X-Men, she would be very, 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 very low on the list. You know, her, Magneto, Xavier, Wolverine, they would all be, you know, well down at the bottom. Because, um, yeah, she's just so powerful. So powerful. And it's interesting because a lot of the covers that Phil Noto's done have been in her and her diamond form. She, I haven't seen her in her diamond form in forever. Uh, she doesn't need to. She's that powerful even without it. So, yeah, that's been a been a great story. Jerry Dugan writes her really, really well. So, uh, okay, next up for me, let's do uh, the other Devil's Reign tie-in. It's Villains for Hire, Fisk's Fist. Say that five times fast. Uh, part three, written by Clay McLeod Chapman. Pencils are by Manuel Garcia. Inks by Lorenzo Ruggiero. Um, Proto Bunkers, Dono Sanchez Almara does the colors and then letters are by Joe Sabino. So this has really become the, the U.S. agent book. He's the one that's leading the Thunderbolts. And we see a, a lot of the fallout of the Kingpin taking over the Purple Man and not caring about uh, his citizens, only caring about the bottom line. And to U.S. agents credit, I mean, the guy's pretty much a jerk, but to his credit, uh, he does call the Kingpin out on his shenanigans because uh, he doesn't think it's right. He does have a pretty good sense of, of right and wrong, even if he is working for the Kingpin. But, you know, Kingpin has the law behind him. He has, you know, the, the official um, authority of New York City behind him. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And then when U.S. agent questions that, uh, obviously, with the Purple Man and other resources that the Kingpin has at his disposal, it's the U S agent, John Carter. He's not exactly in, a, in the best position to resist. So I do question a little bit why this series exists only because not a lot. There's not like something that happens in, in this series where you go, Oh, that's the reason to read it. Like it's very much just a supporting series for the devil's reign tie-in to kind of get the perspective of what the thunderbolts, what Fisk is up to. Um, which we get plenty of in the main series, but you know maybe they, there wasn't as much of that. Maybe they wanted to give this writer a chance to do something. Maybe they wanted to give us perspective of how these villains feel working for Fisks. So, I mean, it does work on that level, but there's not there's n- nothing super important to the Devil's Reign event that happens in the series. So if you haven't read it and you're wondering, oh, I wonder if I should pick up the trade. I mean, it's up to you. Flip through it. Um, but it's not one where I'm like, okay, there's craziness that goes down. You got to read it, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not that it's, it's a little bit, last couple of issues have been a little bit through the, the eyes of John Carter, uh, the U S agent and, you know, Kingpin being a dick, which, you know, no big surprise there. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and move on. Next book we're going to talk about is Maniac of New York, number four, The Bronx is Burning. It's the final issue of the second arc. It's written by Elliot Kalin, Andrea Moody. It does the art and colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. And we can now tell you, since we saw it at the end of the last issue, but didn't want to spoil. Uh, and I talked to Elliot about this. And if you heard the interview, we were really vague about where it is, but he, it was a bucket list thing for him to have the maniac show up at Yankee stadium on opening day and just start hacking apart Yankee fans. 
And there are any number of Red Sox fans who probably will buy this comic and frame it and give it out to their friends for Christmas and best like best Red Sox. I'm sure this thing will sell gangbusters in uh, in Massachusetts. So uh, anyway, it is an action packed issue. What do you think, Jay? Oh, man. Uh, well, when I lived when I was stationed in New Jersey, I love New York. I love the Yankees. I've been to so many opening games. So I hopefully I'm glad I wasn't there for this one. <laughs> but yeah, it just starts off as a bloodbath. Uh, it's a fun issue. Um, we get Zelda and Gina the, uh, facing off with the maniac. Uh, we got some uh, dirty s- stuff going on with the mayor. You know, trying to not really blackmail people, but but just trying to bribe people, which is like typical, I guess, of New York mayor. <laughs> Um, we get a lot of closure with these two characters, Zelda and Gina, uh, at the, at the end of the story. But like I said, I don't think it's over. Maniac's not, I'm not going to give away, but Maniac's not gone. He's still going to come back. I'm, I got, I got, I get bet money on it. <laughs> and I kind of feel sorry for that. Uh, the little girl that, you know, she finally was trying to do her own little thing. Uh, Lena was trying to get to the officers to give him some information, but it was all in vain because, it didn't happen for her, but I'm sure that'll come up later on. It has to, you know, it just kind of seems like a, a, a loose end, I guess you could say, the storyline. But it's definitely my book of the week. So I've always been a fan of the of the, uh, the Maniac and uh, it, it was a fun read. And you're right. The ending just being a Yankee fan was kind of like, wow, OK, they went there. <laughs> but uh, it had to happen, I guess, because, you know, it's New York. Yeah, but it was I, definitely fun. It, yeah, it was a fantastic issue. Loved every page, loved every panel. And yeah, Elliot told us they haven't been greenlit for for volume three yet. So really hoping that um, that they get the uh, the go ahead to complete the story, because, yeah, I'm really curious uh, as well. I mean, if this is the end, I I mean, I guess I'll be satisfied, but disappointed is what I would call myself, because this is in a way sort of an end. But yeah, it's clear that Elliot and uh, Andrea Moody have more more to tell. So we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. Uh, okay, next up for me is 10 Deaths or X Deaths of Wolverine. This is issue number five from writer Benjamin Percy. Federico Vincentini is the artist. Dijo Lima does the colors. Corey Petit on letters. Tom Muller on design. Another action-packed issue. Like, all these series are coming to an end with, with a lot of action. So, we get to see Wolverine take on his future self that's infected with the... Um, uh, the, the the warlock virus, as it were, uh, the, the phalanx virus. And um, it ends in such a way that there's a lot of questions that remain. Like the whole Moira storyline doesn't really get resolved, but I didn't really expect it to, which I always thought it was strange that Marvel's been selling both 10 Lives of Wolverine and 10 Deaths of Wolverine as these sort of books that are comparable to house of X powers of 10 in terms of launching the next, you know, wave, the next age of, of X-Men, but these books feel smaller than that to me. Not that they're not some consequential events that happen and not that Wolverine is not cool. Um, but both of them have been action packed with a bunch of Wolverine fights, but not, not the kind of book, not like Inferno, right? Like we got Inferno Hickman's last story that he wrote at Marvel for the X-Men that went, that reached all the way back to that house of X and powers of 10 series and, and pulled in a lot of threads that hadn't even been mentioned since then. This doesn't do that, you know, and I, I, to, I'm not complaining because they're both enjoyable. And I don't think that's what Benjamin Percy's uh, intent was, but that's why I'm kind of 
curious, like, why are you saying these are the books that lead into the next stage? I mean, again, we don't get the resolution of, of Moira's story here. And the way the first one, uh, the, the 10 lives of Wolverine ended, he takes out uh, Omega Red, which is really cool. He like slices on half. But again, how does that lead into the next phase of X-Men history? That's the part where I'm not really, uh, I'm not really understanding. But that being said, these were enjoyable issues. There's a lot of um, angst in the the death of Wolverine, um, and I particularly enjoyed. There's a scene at the end between Sage and Beast where they're sitting in a bar talking about the events that have unfolded and what Wolverine means to uh, the X-Men and means to Krakoa and means to mutant kind as a whole, which I thought was a very interesting conversation. I love the perspective that Benjamin Percy has for Wolverine. And he's, I think he's using beasts to give mouth to his own um, kind of viewpoint on who Wolverine is and how important he is to the X-Men. So it, it was a fantastic series. Really enjoyed it. Uh, okay, up next, I'll mention real quickly um, The Lion and the Eagle. This is from writer Garth Innes. PJ Holden is the artist. Matt Mill is the colorist. And Rob Steen does the letters. This is part two of three. It's a little bit of a bigger size book, kind of like the, the DC Black Label books. Um, and it's the, the second part of the story that tells uh, about the British forces that are uh, aligned with some Chinese forces and some Indian forces in the, the jungles of the, uh, of Asia subcontinent uh, during world war II. So I've said many, many times that nobody writes world war II stuff better than Garth Innes. And what I especially like about the, the stuff he's writing here, and this has been the case of quite a few things that he's written recently for aftershock in terms of war comics. They're not, American centric, you know, this isn't the story of any Americans per se, you know, there might be one or two here or there that pop up in the story, but this is, was a British campaign. This was a British battle um, against the Japanese in, in the jungle, you know, not the best conditions. And it's uh, a part of the war that doesn't get as much, um, as as much i don't want to say credit because that's that's the wrong word uh, but it just doesn't get as much attention you know everything tends to be a little more european centric or they talk about the battle in the pacific battle of midway with the planes and the naval battles and whatnot but you know the stuff that happened in africa the stuff that happened in, in india uh burma and those kind of places it's not it's not mentioned and there are plenty of acts of heroism there uh and also plenty of horrific battles in terms of you know people dying and you know just the horror of of war so i appreciate that we're getting the the perspective from garth innes who again i think does a fantastic job of researching and presenting authentic stories set in that time period plus he's british so he has the i think the right perspective um you know he's not writing these people as you know conquering perfect heroes that you know are fighting for truth justice and the British way, I guess you'd say, um, you know, he's, he writes them as, as real fleshed out people, you know, who have their own faults. Um, the Japanese aren't just faceless monsters. So, uh, I'm really enjoying it as I, I do most of Garth Ennis's war work. So, and it's aftershock, so you know, it's quality. Uh, all right. I think, uh, Jay has one more. Yep. Here we go. Uh, Maestro, 
World War number two, World War M number two. It's from writer Peter David. Herman Peralta handles the art. Jesus Arbatov on colors. Ariana Mare does the letters. Wow, this was a great issue. What'd you think? Oh, it was fun. It's like we finally get a light. Uh, we see him in action more. Like Maestro is actually in action with because uh, he goes underwater. Of course, you know Namor is down there. And he gives him like an ultimatum, but he's like, eh, I don't think so. So things go awry. Uh, characters die because that's, I think what I like about the series with Maestro is like anybody and everybody can and will die. I mean, there's just, there's, nobody's going to be safe in the, in the storyline. The ending is pretty cool. Like I said, I just want to see what, ha- what happens next because we have another character that shows up that takes some of the characters out of the, out of the fight. And I'm like, well, why did he do that? I guess he's in more dire need for help. But I'll see how it all plays out with if they join forces to go after Maestro. But we know Maestro just he's a, he's a badass. He can't really do anything to him. You know, he doesn't care anymore. He's not the Hulk. He's not the Hulk that we love. He's a totally different person now. But it's it's fun. I mean, I think it's, I think this is the last uh, storyline of the series. I think this is the last one, and then that's it. Because I think people like the character, but I think some people are kind of getting burnt out with the stories. They just keep going and going. And I can't only beat a dead horse so long and get the money out of it until you drain it dry. I think they're yeah. at that point in Marvel <laughs> with this character. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the last one uh, as well. So I, I'm I'm glad that Peter David is getting to, to finish up and you know put his stamp on these. But yeah, this was this was fun. Another action packed. Uh, book that we got this week um and as far as that that character that reaches out and and pulls some people away from battle and needs help i love how he kind of like what happens to him on the last couple pages because it's oh yeah (laughs) it's not really um a position you're used to seeing him in so that was kind of fun uh all right i have a couple more books they're both from marvel that uh, i'll talk about real fast uh from Writer Christopher Cantwell, we have Iron Man number 18 with art by Lan Medina. Colors are by Frank D'Armada, letters by Joel Caramagna. This was another great issue. I have talked throughout about how what Christopher Cantwell has been doing is, is tearing Tony Stark down to build him back up. And I feel like just, just when you think Tony has hit his bottom and starts to bounce back, he makes another mistake, which is so Tony Stark, like so classically Tony Stark. And I don't mean the Robert Downey Jr. version of Tony Stark. I mean the original version of Tony Stark that made all the mistakes. Now, don't get me wrong. RDJ's version has its own quirks and foibles, and he definitely is his own worst enemy as well. But just in a, in a different way, this Tony Stark is much less snarky, much more introspective, much more in the classic Tony Stark mold. And uh, with the power of cosmic, he has the ability to change all that. He can do anything he wants. He's almost omnipotent. Um, but in the hands of Tony Stark, that power is not wielded with the best sort of care and the best sort of uh, thoughts or, or responsibility. So fantastic issue, fantastic cover from Alex Ross. Uh, and the art from Land Medina is, is fantastic. There's a lot of like I said, Tony Stark introspection here, where he's thinking back on mistakes he's made in the past or just his life and, and things he's been through. And so you, a lot of the pages, especially toward the middle of the book, are these beautiful either splash pages of a snapshot in time of a particular armor or a particular battle or a particular um, uh, very landmark Iron Man, Iron Man moment. So uh, Lan Medina does a great job of, of giving us some, some great work, some, especially the montages. The art is beautiful. So um, it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger because uh, even though the, the idea of Tony having the power cosmic, that 
part is resolved, the, the Korvax story in and of itself may not quite be done yet. Even though Korvax supposedly is off the playing field and now Tony resolves uh, the situation with the power cosmic, things are not that simple. So uh, really enjoying this. I, this has been my favorite Iron Man run in, in quite some time. And uh, I would encourage anybody who's uh, an Iron Man fan to check it out. It may be a little bit different than what you're used to if you're, a, you know, you, you became an Iron Man fan because of the MCU. But this is a little bit of a different, more grounded Tony Stark, but it's still very, very good. Uh, and then the last book I'll mention real briefly is Ben Riley Spider-Man issue number three from writer J.M. Demetrius. We have art by David Baldion. Israel Silva does the colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Ben Riley's been going up against some really classic foes like Scorpion and Lady Octopus, but nothing is quite what it seems. And we haven't known. Okay, is Ben Riley hallucinating? Is it Mysterio? Is it the chameleon? Like, what exactly is going on? So we we get the answers that we've been looking for, and Ben Riley does as well in this issue. And it's not anybody you would suspect. At least it wasn't anybody that I uh, expected. So uh, I'm really enjoying this series. It's uh, much like the uh, Pat Wolverine Patch series that we we're talking about. This one is set, you know, further back in time. This is set during that time where uh, Peter Parker and MJ had gone off to the West Coast to have their baby. At this point in in Marvel history, Peter Parker thinks that he's the clone, and Ben Riley's the original Spider-Man. So this is set like right in that time, right in the midst of the Clone Saga. And written by J.M. Demetrius, who was one of the architects, one of the writers of Spider-Man at that time. So the artwork by David Baldion is fantastic. And uh, if you're a fan of Ben Riley, uh, you should definitely check it out. We're just a fan of some classic, uh, some classic Marvel Spider-Man. Because again, this is one. Even if you didn't read the Clone Saga, Demetrius gives um, enough context that you don't need. You don't need it. He gives you everything you need to enjoy the story right here in these uh, in these issues. So I think it's a five issue series. Uh, and, and issue three was, was fantastic. All right, let me give a rundown on some other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. We mentioned both books from uh, Aftershock, Lion and the Eagle, and Maniac of New York. Uh, but over at Boom, we have uh, All New Flyerfly number two, as well as Power Rangers Universe number four of six. At Dark Horse, there's a new Stranger Things uh, mini series starting. It's called Kamachka. It's a four issue and it's uh, starting today. We also have the end of joy operations, which has been a fantastic series from Brian Michael Bendis with art by Stephen Byrne. Five of five is out today. And then finally we have demons number one of three from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. This is such a fun book. Uh, we reviewed all three uh, digital issues as they came out. Absolutely fantastic. If you don't like reading digital or you didn't get a chance to check it out on Comixology, pick up this book. It is so good. I just, I can't say enough great things about how amazing it is. Uh, from DC, again, you can go listen to these on the DC Spotlight. Action Comics number 1041. Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target, number six of seven. Deathstroke, uh, Incorporated, number seven, where we find out the uh, identity of a respawn. Detective Comics number 1058 finishes off the Shadows of the Bat storyline. Harley Quinn, number 13, from Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rosmo. Human Target, number 6 of 12, I mentioned at the top of the show. Must read for people who dislike Guy Gardner. 
And uh, to me, this is the most beautiful, well-drawn, well-presented comic that I've seen in 20 years. It, it is it is fantastic. My favorite thing I've ever seen Greg Smallwood or Tom King do. I absolutely love that series. I buy the single issues. I'm buying every cover. I'll buy every hard cover and soft cover. I will buy that book over and over and over in every iteration that DC puts it out in every edition. It's that good. I just, I, I can't get enough of it. Uh, Icon and Rocket season one comes to a close with number six of six. Robin number 12 is also out from Joshua Williamson with art by Roger Cruz. I mentioned at the top of the show, also my other favorite DC book this week, Rogues number one of four, which is a black label book, sort of the last rogue story. Art by Leo Max. That one's written by Joshua Williamson as well. Uh, Task Force uh, Z, number six, from um, writer Matthew Rosenberg. Fantastic art by Jack Herbert in this one. That book is just so good. It's so another super action-packed book, action from cover to cover. Really interesting what's going on there. Uh, Teen Titans Academy, number 13, which ties into the War for uh, Earth 3 storyline. And then Trial of the Amazons. Wonder Girl number one of two, which ties into Trial of the Amazons. Best Wonder Girl issue we've had. Best uh, Yara Floor Wonder Girl issue that we've had so far. So that is out from DC today as well. Uh, over at Image, uh, I talked about Aerosmith. We talked about Department of Truth. We also have Gunslinger Spawn number six. Philadelphia number 20. Uh, Monstrous, Monstrous number 38. And then I, uh, Saga number 57, I know a lot of, a lot of people digging on Saga. I still have never read any Saga. And I know people are screaming at their uh, smart devices. They're listening to us on right now. I don't know. I just, it never, I wasn't reading comics when it came out. I was during one of my little breaks and people hyped it up so much. I felt like if, if I read it, I'll only be disappointed because there's no way it can live up to how amazing everybody tells me it is, but. I don't know, maybe someday. Uh, the other book that I want to mention for very mature readers, but I've been enjoying it, is Bolero number three of five. A lot of sex and language in that one. So, uh, but it's about multi universes and life and uh, relationships and whatnot. It's it's been a, a really interesting read. Uh, okay, over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, we have Avengers Forever number four from Jason Aaron. A lot of uh, Thor's offspring, Thor's granddaughters in that one um demon days blood feud number one from peach momoko uh let's see what else the electra black white and blood number three of four uh over in the star wars corner uh we have star wars darth vader number 21 and star wars dart uh dr afra number 19 we also have savage spider-man number two of five as well as venom lethal protectors number one of five there used to be a miniseries back in the day, a three-part called Venom Lethal Protector. So I guess they're going for the nostalgia stuff. They're pulling it, uh, calling it by calling the series by the exact same name. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then from Valiant, there's a new mini called Armor Clads, number one of five that they've been hyping up a lot. I wanted to check it out. I just didn't have time. Uh, I think that's all I had to mention, Jay. What do you got? Uh, from uh, Behemoth Comics, we got Until My uh, Knuckles Bleed, number three. That's by uh, Victor Santos. He does the writing and the, and the artwork. That's actually fun. If it's like a bloody bare knuckle fights, this is a, it's actually really good. Uh, and then from uh, artists, writers, and 
Artisans Incorporated. We got the Fourth Man number three. Uh, that's by Jeff McConzy and uh, Lee Logridge. That's actually pretty fun. It's like a mystery noir type deal. It's really good. All right. Well, that's going to do it, everybody. Hope you get a chance to get out to your comic shop and read some comics. Uh, don't forget to check out our daily spawn episodes that are still dropping every day and go check out the DC Spotlight. Uh, we did a separate spotlight for Trial of the Amazons and another separate one for uh, War for Earth 3. So go check those out if you're so inclined. We appreciate you listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.